Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. Together, we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. Most importantly, we want to hear from you. You can write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. That's all lowercase. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and now Spotify. If you enjoy the show, that would really help us out. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod. And our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. All that information is going to be in our episode description. Today, we are discussing Adam McKay's latest film, Don't Look Up, which I think is one of the most exciting movies of the year. Not all of our hosts agree with that. But first, I would like to mention the passing of Jean-Marc Vallée, who was a great director. He made Dallas Buyers Club, Wild, Demolition, amongst others. And he also made Big Little Lies and Sharp Objects for HBO. If you haven't seen his work, please check it out. He will be greatly missed. And now, an extended weekly watch list. Last week, we took a break because we wanted to get right into Spider-Man No Way Home. Check out that review. But now we're going to have an extended list. So, Matt, why don't you kick us off? What's something you've been watching this week? All right, something I've been watching this week. Um, so I finished off Hawkeye. Uh, so that, that actually finished about this time last week. And I, I, as a whole, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it was a very, very tasteful, very touching way for them to pass the mantle of Hawkeye off from Clint Barton over to Kate Bishop. And I am really excited to see where the story goes from here. Without getting too much into spoilers, I mean, we pretty much, if you've been keeping up with the show, you pretty much knew what was going to happen in this episode. You knew we were going to get the sort of reboot debut of Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. And I think that was a pretty exciting thing to see. To see Marvel really tying in those Netflix series into the main MCU in a more concrete way. And, I mean, I really enjoyed Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop throughout this series. And I'm really excited to see how she does as basically the new Hawkeye. And I think it was a nice little send-off for Jeremy Renner. Playing the character of Clint Barton and as, like, Hawkeye, he gets to have his little life with his family without having to be a hero or be like a superhero anymore he can finally have his little life on the farm which i think that's really all he had wanted after the years after the blip tyler you also watched this yes i did i i caught up to the series this week and i just wanted to say you know this how i feel about disney and with with Marvel mostly and Star Wars too now, but um, Disney kind of has this form of entertainment where you just kind of like be like, hey, that's the guy from the other show I watched. Like you just pointing at the screen every time a character comes on, and like every reveal is just a guy you've seen before in the past. <laughs> it's not just Disney doing that though. Warner Brothers is doing the same exact thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, Warner Brothers is just shoving <laughs> IPs into movies, and you know it's. Going... <laughs> That's just the way of corporate media these days. That's the modern blockbuster now. It's like just just uh, studio exec nudging you, being like, "Hey, remember that? Remember that? <laughs> that well, was look, the entire No Way Home." <laughs> well, don't forget, guys. Even even beyond No Way Home, we got Space Jam Two this year. <laughs> 
which was just Ready Player One slightly differently in the fact yeah. that they just started throwing things into references. I didn't watch that. Did you? either of you guys watch that? No. What, Ready Player One? No, Space Jam 2. Oh, oh no. Oh. Ready Player One, though. It's got Mark Rylance in that, too. Like the uh, movie we were talking about this week. We're talking about Rylance later. Oh, we're going to mention Rylance, that's for sure. <laughs> so, gear up for that. Uh, I've watched quite a few new movies over these past couple of weeks. One of them is Flag Day. This is Sean Penn's newest film. This is about a young woman who navigates a troubled relationship with her con artist father. The daughter is played by Dylan Penn, and the father is played by Sean Penn. They are a real father-daughter pair. This is directed by him. It is written by Jess Butterworth and John Henry Butterworth. It is based on the book Flim Flam Man, the true story of my father's counterfeit life by Jennifer Vogel. You can tell there is definite chemistry between Sean and Dylan. The best moments of the movie, in fact, are the scenes between them when they're sharing an intimate moment. I was pretty impressed with Dylan Penn's ability to hold together scenes that certainly could have and do sometimes turn into really like screaming melodrama. Uh, but she gave a lot of gravity to a lot of intimate moments. Um, there's some beautiful photography here, but the as far as structure-wise, the movie is largely aimless and not entirely engaging the whole time. It does explore toxic family relationships and like compromises that have to be made when you're connected to somebody who you know isn't really good for your own well-being, but you still love them, that kind of thing. Overall, I wouldn't recommend it to many, but you never know. I don't think this is a bad film, uh, so somebody out there might like it. I do want to talk about the poster for for this movie <laughs> just just look up the image on the bottom of it it has Dylan Penn who is walking through a field and it is photographed very beautifully it all looks good and then the, the top half is Sean Penn but it's not not cinematic Sean Penn it is Facebook profile picture Sean Penn it's like enlarged blurry it's like brooding over the whole thing like big brother and oh, it's man. him in sunglasses doing finger guns and a cowboy hat like and a cowboy hat it's so like out of proportion with the whole thing like I I'm just in awe every time I see this thing it's it's like a Kid Rock biopic. <laughs> yes, t- titled "Ba with the Ba." <laughs> no, he he was actually auditioning for Kingo in the Eternals. <laughs> that would have been a really interesting. That, that is a an interesting wrinkle in the multiverse that I'd be interested in exploring. I have a question for you. Why is this movie titled Flag Day? So, I don't know. they do talk about flag day and how like that day connects to his sense of self and like the man that he viewed himself as versus the man that he is he does have a very interesting like american flag outfit at one point is uh, that the finger a... guns in it? No, he never <laughs> does the finger guns. He never and, does it. And that's all I've got to say about, about that movie. I also want... Oh, I, that's on VOD if anybody is interested in Flag Day. No one is. <laughs> I, listen, I don't want to lambaste this movie. It's, it's not bad. 
I also watched The Hand of God. This is written and directed by Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, in 1980s Naples, young Fabietto wades through family issues, his development into a man, and the hopeful arrival of a star soccer player onto his home team. This is Italy's entry for Best International Feature Oscar. It did make the shortlist. We're going to be talking about that when we get to movie news. This movie, for the first part of it at least, is a really good hang. I like the atmosphere. I like the family dynamics. Nothing moves too fast. takes its time, but it stays quite interesting. There's a really fun cast of characters, and it switches between very cheery and irreverent to devastating at other moments, particularly later in the film. This is another movie I wouldn't recommend to everybody. There are some really upsetting scenes in this and certain things that I think would off-put a lot of people, but if you're interested, you like Sorrentino's work, please give it a shot. It's right there on Netflix for you. Matt, what's something else that you watched this week? So I also watched Spider-Man No Way Home again, <clears throat> and I have to say on a second watch, I I, I just love this movie even more. Um, a lot, I think a lot, I mean... It was very impactful. It was very impressive when I first saw it. I loved it. It shot right up to my favorite Spider-Man movie of all time the first time I saw it. But on second watch, it really, knowing what happens, really kind of took away some of the extra anticipation for me. So I was able to take my time and really enjoy each scene as it played out and each moment. And a lot of the emotional moments really hit me twofold on the second watch. Because I, even though I knew they were going to happen, it really gave me time to really sort of analyze what was happening and realize how impactful it really was. And the theater was also much quieter. So I actually was able to get the dialogue within 10 <laughs> seconds of <laughs> some someone being revealed. Did we miss anything important the first time? Um, actually, not really. But Oh, good. Nothing, nothing you couldn't have gotten from other contexts clues in the movie but um it was it's definitely worth a rewatch it's definitely in my top three superhero movies of all time besides besides those two things i've just been watching some simpsons reruns um i also saw licorice pizza but i'm still in the process of sort of working through my thoughts on that movie i did really endure it but i need to really take some time to pinpoint exactly what i liked about it so i will probably be talking about that one next week all right, yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm going to try to see it before then. Tyler, what else did you watch? Well, I just actually, I'm going to do two here, but I just finished watching before we came on uh, The Book of Boba Fett, which just came out today. Um, and, you know, I feel like I'm a bad reviewer for this because I absolutely love Boba Fett, so they could have given me anything and I would have eaten it up. So uh, I definitely enjoyed it. It feels very nostalgic uh, back to the time of watching the old Star Wars movies as a kid. Hey, remember that guy? Remember seeing that guy? I mean, yeah, but in this case, that actually, you know, it works. It's entertaining. I agree with that. I'm just saying that's, like, what they rely on. Um, But, yeah, so I definitely find it enjoyable. I recommend it if you're a Star Wars fan. Um, There's only one episode out so far, so give it a watch. Um, I also saw, um, I know you'd be a big fan of this, Mike, uh, your big uh, Guy Ritchie fan, your big Guy Ritchie fan. Ugh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Wrath of Man, which actually, you know, oh. that's, yeah, it wasn't bad. I, I enjoyed it. It's an underrated okay. action movie. It's, right. a, it's a Jason Statham action movie. You can't expect like a masterpiece cinematic journey. Oh, that reminds it's, me. I, sorry. I, I saw a trailer for a new Jason Statham movie. Um, it's got... 
uh, Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, and I think uh, like Josh Hartnett or something. Uh, Josh oh. Hartnett was in this movie as well. <laughs> they formed uh, a partnership. <laughs> um, what was it called? Um, give me one second. Wrath of Man 2, Denial of Man, <laughs> Wrath of Man 3, Acceptance. He just Op- goes through the, the stages of grief. Op- Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. De Guerre. Oh, oh. Col- Operation Fortune, colon, Ruse de Guerre. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, we're, it, we're pumped. Oh, he, it's got Hugh, Hugh Grant and Carrie Elways in it, too. Oh, wow. That's a, they you... basically they hire this actor to sort of go undercover and either spy on or assassinate. It was kind of unclear. One of um, this this guy that their agency was trying to take out, I guess. Hmm. Can't wait for that one. I, I can't wait to not watch Wrath of Man as well. No, Wrath of Man is underrated. It's got okay. it, it's Jason Statham kicking. So you know that's always good. Oh, it maybe actually I'll check has it out. A, it does a ton of time jumping, which gets kind of confusing throughout, but it ties it all together in the end, and it's actually kind of interesting, the story, as it kind of all unfolds. Right. I won't judge before I've seen it. Uh, I'm going to rip off a few quickly here, and then Tyler and I are going to talk about just a really fantastic, in quotes, movie that we watched. <laughs> uh, I also watched this movie, I'm Your Man. This is Germany's submission for Best International Feature at the Oscars. It was shortlisted. This is about a researcher who agrees to live with an AI who was designed to be her ideal man. It was directed by Maria Schrader and written by Schrader and Jan Schomburg. This is a really sweet, interesting sci-fi romance. Uh, Marin Eggert as Alma embodies this reluctance to engage with vulnerability. She's the protagonist. And then we have Dan Stevens, who's giving a really delightful performance as Tom, who is the AI. He's very convincingly robotic. He has to like tune his performance as the movie goes on to become more and more human as we progress, which I thought was pretty impressive. I recommend this movie. It doesn't totally grapple with implications of human ai in the same way that something like ex machina does Um, but it does have this kind of powerful statement about how our own ego shapes our perspective on different things i also watched encanto this is the 60th film from walt disney animation studios it's about a family in the mountains of colombia in a magical place Each member of the family has a special magic power, except for Maribel. When the magic starts to fade and their casita starts to crumble, Maribel must bring her home and her family together. This is directed by Jared Bush and Byron Howard, co-directed by Sharice Castro-Smith, and it was written by Sharice Castro-Smith and Jared Bush. This is a really powerful story about familial rejection, about gaining new perspectives on the ones closest to you. Maribel, voiced by Stephanie Beatriz, is... One of the most fun protagonists to follow that I've seen in a while. Uh, it was just a really cool journey with her. The animation is absolutely incredible. I know it's beating a dead horse talking about Disney animation, but it, I feel like they just keep getting better, not only with the environment of this one, but even just the way that the movement of outfits and hair is done was really, really cool. The songs are good. The songs were by Lin-Manuel Miranda with music by Jermaine Franco. So, Tyler, this is right up your alley. Um, This is not the best musical Disney has ever done. The songs aren't my favorite, but it's it's still very good. One song in particular, Waiting on a Miracle, gave me that musical moment that musical fans will know what I'm talking about, where 
the moment, the story is so powerful, and it's made even more so because it was communicated through song. Uh, maybe some of you have had that experience, maybe not. If you haven't, I hope someday that you do. And guys, guys, I did it. I <laughs> I watched the first few minutes, and then I kind of had this on just in the background, but I watched Ron's Gone Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so... In a world where children are given B-Bots, devices to help them make friends, one boy, Barney, receives a malfunctioning bot and struggles with fitting in family and technological bureaucracy, all in one movie. This is directed by Sarah Smith and Jean-Philippe Vine. This is his first directorial effort. This is written by Smith and Peter Bainham. This movie has some ideas that are worth discussing mainly about like how technology is neutral and it is up to the hands that are using the technology to be decide if it's going to be good or evil a lot of similar movies like this kind of have like adult pedantic talking about how all technology is bad and you should just go pick up a stick and play with it all day but this one really doesn't um you know it's it's it is about you know you choose how things are used. It's also a fascinating portrayal of like the pressure on today's youth, right? How they feel this intense social need, not only to always be living online, to always be on a device at all times, which I think a lot of us feel, but also to create like this entire persona that they constantly have to keep up. I thought it actually uh, showed that pretty well. The beginning scene involves this Apple-like tech announcement where the people who made the B-Bots talk about how all of someone's data and information is collected to give them exactly what they want all the time. And it's just like a bunch of kids cheering. And I found this so like disturbing and terrifying. <laughs> but they're all like, yeah, please just collect all the data. And, you know, the the movie isn't, um, the movie prevents, presents some good am ambiguity. This is the first film from Locksmith Animation, who I've learned about recently. They're a British CGI studio who bill themselves as the only high-end CGI information movie studio in the UK making computer animated family films. So I guess we will have to be on the lookout for Locksmith What does that even animation. mean? <laughs> I think it was very clear. <laughs> That in the UK, they're the only high-end CGI movie studio making computer animated family films. I want to know. I want to know what the low-end there are some animation low -end studio ones. looks like. Yeah, I'm just curious. What <laughs> high-end? What does that entail? I don't know. As a movie, Ron's Ron's kind of wrong. Isn't great. Ron is super adorable. Ron is super adorable. Zach, voiced by Zach Galifianakis. And the movie knows it. It plays into it. <laughs> there is a scene where Ron is trying Ron is trying to make friends for his buddy, his human buddy, Barney. So to Barney's school, Ron brings a homeless man, a local alcoholic, an old lady who is a hostage, and Ron also kidnaps an infant. And that's all in one scene. There is anti-communist propaganda in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> have i read too much into ron's gone wrong i don't think so <laughs> well it's a it's a disney property right technically so that makes technically, sense technically technically i i wouldn't call this a disney movie 
It's a Disney property. It's a high-end CGI family <laughs> Disney yeah. property. <laughs> this is high, high-end high end by UK standards. So, yeah. <laughs> any, of our, any of our any of our UK listeners, if you have a beat on what some of the low-end ones are, yeah. if you can send us some examples, that'd be great. Yeah, this is available on Disney Plus, and I think also on HBO Max. I believe that I saw it on there. I'm not sure why, but they're really trying to get Ron's Gone Wrong out there. One more thing about this. The title Ron's Gone Wrong, is that an effective title in any way? Not at all. <laughs> I gotta go see Ron's Gone... Like, even just grammatically, it's such an awkward phrase to say. Ron's Gone Wrong. Uh, I, I'm overly positive, or overall positive on it, so... Are you ready for the sequel, Ron's Gone Wild? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron. Ron's Resurrections. Yeah, the uh, oh, speaking of which, thank you so much for that. Tyler and I quickly we're going to discuss The Matrix Resurrections. This is directed by Lana Wachowski, written by Lana Wachowski, David Mitchell, David Mitchell being the author of Cloud Atlas, which is another Wachowski film, and Alexander Heeman. Tyler, I I'll, I'll let you have the floor first for this one. So I, there, there, I had no hype for this movie, and I'm someone who loves the original Matrix and likes the some of the other Matrix stuff, not not too much, but I, I just wasn't that excited for this. So I think I went in with really low expectations, and I enjoyed it more than I thought. Um, there's no reason that had to be a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Um, I, I'm really not even sure if this had to be made. I don't know if it's saying that much more than was already not, said in the Matrix. Film. I'm sure the other Wachowski thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure why she wasn't involved. I, I didn't read into that. I don't know if that's a Coen Brothers type scenario where they broke apart. Apparently, <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I true. I don't know the Wachowski situation, but uh, I thought the action was pretty cool. Um, you know, the, the performances were good. Other than that, like it just were wasn't they? necessary. Yeah, they were, were fine they good? Yeah, for the for a Matrix film. Yeah, I think so. so I don't. I'll preface this by saying I'm not the biggest Matrix guy in the world. So maybe this just wasn't for me. I thought the first part of this movie is like a somewhat interesting, and I'm even kind of being generous there. A meta commentary on the Matrix franchise, like recontextualizing what it's about. Um, they do get like directly meta at one point and I kind of sat up a little straighter on my chair but then after that it's pretty much just another Matrix movie with action that is not quite as exciting the stakes I wasn't that interested in because it's largely similar to the other movies um, same with you Tyler I don't know that this had to be made Apparently, Lana Wachowski was very motivated to do it, and if so, I, I'm glad that she got to do it. I think that's great. I not for me. I just I didn't like this very much. I've heard some from some people who love it. So yeah, if, if you want, go check it out. It's on HBO Max, and maybe you'll like it too. Um, but I did not. So what's more, what was more divisive then, this movie or the movie we're going to talk about later? Because I've seen um, mixed so many mixed reviews for both. That's a very good question. I feel like the response to Matrix Resurrections, and not that I have my finger on the pulse of the world, I don't, I don't know anything. I feel like the different polar reactions to it were like more muted than the Don't Look Up ones. Like I feel yeah. like the mm-hmm. Don't Look Up ones were like, da, 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 da. like people were intense about it. True. But what? I, 
I could be totally wrong. Well, I mean, we're on Twitter. That's as close to being on the pulse of the world as anything. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone with a microphone. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, Movie news. First thing, a little sad news. Ambulance, our beloved Michael Bay film, has been delayed to April 8th, 2022. Boo! Boo! Boo. Yeah, like, way to throw off our whole countdown now. Yeah, I think we're going to... just invalidated our first two months' worth of episodes. Thanks a lot. Studio execs. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to postpone the countdown a little bit. I don't want to be yeah. doing this for four months. So no, no. maybe it once we delayed and delayed. Yeah, maybe once we get a little it, closer. But even then, I don't. I, we've been hurt too many times. It's, so. it's 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 gonna be another deep water. I bet. Yeah. Oh no. No. I, better you're not be. Just putting me in a worse mood. <laughs> Second order of business is the Oscar shortlist came out. You know, we have stuff from song, original score, shorts, documentary feature, all that kind of stuff. The one I would like to discuss is the one for best international feature. And the, the thing to break to Tyler is that uh, Titan did not even make the shortlist. This, this, this movie news so far is really bumming me out, man. Yeah. <laughs> and trapped in my house for a week. And now you're just ripping my heart out even more. <laughs> yeah, somehow Lamb made it, but uh, Titan that, did not. I don't understand that at all. You're telling me Iceland didn't make any better movies than Lamb to yeah. put on that? I, I want well, to try to see as many of these I think as a, I, I think A24 has the clout. What? Yeah, that's that's true. I want to try to see... They don't have the clout to properly advertise this film. <laughs> Well, no, they did properly. the The job of the advertisers to get people to go see it, and Fair they enough. did. But like, and... it literally included the line of "witness a new breed of horror." Yeah, it's not even a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, it was a new breed. I just wasn't a breed that I yeah, wanted to interact with. It was with. a new breed, a no horror horror movie. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I want to try to see as many of these as I can and report back to you guys, uh, ideally before the nominations come out in february but a lot of these films are ones that don't come out until like later in 2022 so we'll we'll have to see i'll keep you guys updated on how you can uh how you can view those we're gonna get to a couple of trailers now the first being the northman this is directed by robert eggers and written by robert eggers and so john um this is about a Viking on a mission to avenge his father. I'm just going to leave it at that because that seems what it's about. This has Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Anya Taylor-Joy, Clay's Bang, Willem Dafoe, Bjork. You guys excited for this one? I am excited. I'm a sucker for like Nordic, uh, Norse mythology, Viking stuff, so I'm definitely pumped for it. I love Robert Eggers, so I'm definitely curious to see how this turns out. I, I totally agree, and I'm actually surprised that it's not an A24 movie. Hmm. Yeah, I. That's true. I um. I. It looks like a fun epic. We'll see. And you know, I do like that Robert Eggers kind of adds a little extra flair to it. So I. I think this one is exciting. The next one we want to talk about is the unbearable weight of massive talent, which is definitely going to be the prime candidate for movie title that I can't remember. You know? Do you know what the worst example of that ever is? That Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. What it, I don't even know what it is currently. You know what I'm talking Extremely about? Extremely loud and incredibly close. Yeah. <laughs> incredibly just 
he's not a good guy and he's a killer and that's rude. Like that's the title of the movie. <laughs> well, what about well we got we got everything everywhere all at once coming out. Michelle that's Yale. True. And that's um there's another like... one. Go ahead. Oh, that's better than like shockingly wicked and then yeah, this is what it actually is. Like... <laughs> Whatever. Ex- extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile i don't what is that <laughs> that a, is horrible stop also they're a, making another show about ted bundy i just saw with elijah wood haven't we like milked this well dry <laughs> uh, spe- speaking of ex- unnecessarily long titles so there's an, another rear window knockoff coming out after the woman in the window with amy adams from last year oh um it's this one's got Kristen Bell. I saw the trailer for it. It's um, it's the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I just saw the trailer on <laughs> yesterday. It's a parody of this. <laughs> oh my god! I, I have to watch that now. We must. <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be a parody or if it's supposed to be serious. That's I mean, insane. it looks like it's supposed to be serious, but so it's actually it going to be a again? mini. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. So huh. It's got it's got Kristen Bell. Um, it's on Netflix. It premieres January twenty eighth. One day, so it's coming soon. <laughs> good birthday I, present for me. I'm interested in that. Not as good as Home Team, right? Yeah, there's there's two birthday presents for you right there. Good luck sure. with that one. Wow, what a what a packed birthday. All right, so <laughs> the unbearable weight of massive talent. This is about Nick Cage, Nicholas Cage, who plays himself getting paid to attend a super fan's birthday party played by pedro pascal and then he is recruited by the cia for a special mission and there's all sorts of crazy stuff he has to tap into his his superhero character-ish mode to save the day this is directed by tom gormican and written by gormican and kevin eaton i i think this could be very entertaining um Hmm. i it could go either way, is what I'll say about that. I, I agree. It could definitely go either way. It's it's got enough um, it's got enough intrigue for me to definitely be excited for it, but I'm not gonna go in there expecting it to be a masterpiece. Yeah, I'm I'm a person who's not as into uh, I hate to use this word, but like the memification of Nicolas Cage. Like, I think that he is a genuinely great actor. It's just that he does a lot of projects that, you know, are a little ridiculous sometimes. But sometimes they're fun. Um, a recent example of him doing great work is the movie Joe. I don't remember what, what year that's from, but that's within the last decade. That movie's really cool. Uh, well, he, I'll watch it. He went from making Prisoners of the Ghostland to Pig or, or vice versa. But like yeah. back to back, those are like I think those releases were more or less back to back with each other. Yeah, and that just that just kind of that just kind of shows like I I guess you could call it versatility. I think it's cool. I <laughs> I think he's, Pig he's, is a wonderful movie. Uh, yeah, but I, I, but Prisoners of the Ghostland, from what I've heard, was not so much. I didn't know. Uh, I've heard that as well. I haven't seen it though, so we'll watch that. That'll be fun. I would say definitely go check out Pig. If you have not yet, that's an awesome movie. And lastly, fellas, we have a trailer for Death on the Nile. This is a sequel to Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Hercule Poirot, the famed detective, has to solve a murder. This is directed by Kenneth Branagh, who is 
really just rolling in it right now with his Oscar frontrunner Belfast, which I like still have not seen and I really want to see it. Written by Michael Green and based, of course, on the novel by the great Agatha Christie. Here's the cast. Here's the plot: is that somebody gets murdered on a boat and he's got to solve it. That's <laughs> that's the two-minute trailer. Very yeah. cool. But here's who's in it: we got Kenneth Branagh, Tom mm-hmm. Bateman, mm-hmm. Annette Bening. All mm-hmm. right, all right. Russell Brand. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just I just want to say I love I love how you ordered the list the list of cast members in this because yeah. you really went from like okay yeah to uh to yeah what you go ahead and finish it off because yeah so when's the last time you guys saw russell brand i was just about to ask the same question i completely forgot russell brand existed i gotta was it like what's your favorite russell brand role <laughs> arthur <laughs> Get him to the uh, Greek. I think Get Him to the Greek was the only Russell Brand movie I even remember. Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Well, no, that was that true. was bef- that was tied into Get Him to the Greek, though. Fair enough, but <laughs> it's all I remember seeing from him. Um, the next thing he will appear in besides Death of the Nile is Minions: The Rise of Gru, where he will be <laughs> Doctor Nefario. If anyone's familiar with the the Despicable Me universe. All I, right. Well, imagine someone not knowing what Despicable Me is at this point, uh, or at or least at not least, knowing what the minions are. I could believe that there is a person who doesn't know what Despicable Me is, but knows what minions are. Yeah, everyone's right. grandmother posts them in memes on <laughs> yeah. Facebook, so you gotta know who the yellow, yellow little yellow Tic Tac men are. Hey, <laughs> minions are the highest form of comedy. If if you don't get that man, then you just don't know comedy. If That's you don't fair know enough. Minions. Uh, so I hey I I've never disliked Russell Brand I just I was shocked to see him here. So we have him, Gal Gadot. Ugh. Listen, guys, she has enough champagne to fill the Nile. <laughs> the dumbest delivered line. I'm so mad about. It. And is she throwing her glass out the window? I feel like they cut away. Like, can you please not litter in the Nile River? <laughs> but they have enough champagne to fill the Nile. Like, littering is a worse crime than murder. than murder in this case. <laughs> it's true. ridiculous. Hopefully he tries to solve the littering. That would really help out the planet. <laughs> we have her, and then uh, we have Letitia Wright, which is, all right. I like Hell Letitia yeah. Wright. We definitely need that anti-vax nonsense oh, on man, the set of this movie. <laughs> yes, this and then, well, you we want to yeah. talk about controversy. <laughs> We've, I, I didn't even realize he was in this, and then when I saw his face, I'm like, oh, I thought we had stopped seeing him. Was Army Hammer? I think. Uh, well, I think they were still filming this when he, um, when when that whole controversy broke. Oh. Because I think he had to like take I a break see. from it. I see. I didn't know that. Yeah, this but, film is also one that's been delayed about nine times due to COVID and all that kind of stuff. So I can't. West I Nile can't virus. think of Army. I can't hear Army Hammer without thinking of the tweet. Army Hammer wants to eat your hammy armor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. You guys gonna watch this? Not a chance in hell. If it's a slow I week. Don't know. If it's a slow week and we have to, I don't know. Maybe we can do a fan request that week instead. 
yeah that or like a listener request plenty of plenty of plenty of retrospective movies to watch uh all right well we're gonna take a short break and then we are gonna come back to the other controversial even within our own crew movie don't look up i'm dawn and i'm cole and scottish murders is a true crime podcast dedicated to people from or living in scotland just like anywhere else in the world these murders can be truly horrific and shocking and we want to shine more light upon them Join us every two weeks on Scottish Murders, where we'll bring you cases both solved and unsolved, giving you an insight into the other side of Bonnie Scotland. Find us wherever you stream your podcasts, as well as on social media. Join us there. Bye! Alright, we're back with our review of Don't Look Up. Is about an astronomy grad student and her, her professor who discover a comet that are hurtling towards Earth and will destroy the planet if humankind does not intervene. They must convince the government and the public at large to act before it is too late. This is written and directed by Adam McKay with story by McKay and David Sirota. Before we get into this movie, I want to know where you guys stand on the new age McKay, right? Because he started out, we got Anchorman, Talladega Nights, the other guys, Step Brothers, these very sort of broad comedies that are very smart, don't get me wrong, but he has shifted with the big short Vice and now this into a different kind of filmmaking. Are you guys into this? Do you like it? To an extent. Um, I like the big short Vice a little less so, and this one I did not like, so it's hit or miss. Yeah, it's hard for me to compare the two because, I mean... They both stay in sort of the comedic realm, but for them, from him, the shift from like irreverent comedy, or not necessarily irreverent, but like, I guess laugh out loud comedy, like with Talladega Nights and Step Brothers are two of like my absolute favorite comedy movies, probably of all time. And um, I I think it's it's hard for me to compare the two. I, I do like what he's doing right now. Um, I didn't see Vice, and I actually didn't see The Big Short, honestly, but I did really enjoy this movie, so I think I'm going to go back and revisit those two. Yeah, I was always a, a Talladega Nights and The Other Guys fan. I think The Other Guys is, is underrated at this point. Um, I love The Other play, Guys. <laughs> Adam McKay does play Dirty Mike in that, so points for <laughs> it's that. true. I, I'm a big fan of what he's been doing. The Big Short and Vice are two movies that I think I really like a lot. Um, you know, there may be some flaws in the movies, but it's one of those things where, like, even though there are flaws, I love the movies and am applauding that he is doing it, which is, is going to come up with this one as well. I've found it very interesting how those two previous, you know, New Age McKay-style movies have been embraced by the Academy. Both of them have earned him a Best Picture and Best Director nominations. Um, so I'm very curious to see how this one does, especially considering that there is a lot of mixed opinion amongst the critical group. So we'll see. But for now, I want us to give some general thoughts on Don't Look Up and Would You Recommend It? Tyler, why don't we start with you? So I did not enjoy this movie at all. I shouldn't say at all. Uh, there are some parts that I thought were all right. 
Um, overall, I wasn't a fan. Um, I think the way I would describe it is satire for people who don't understand satire. Um, you know, I think when you do good satire, you kind of got to have a subtlety about this. This is as subtle as like slapping someone in the face. Uh, so I, I just think he keeps getting sidetracked away from the plot. Too many characters that weren't necessary. He could have cut this movie in half and had the same message, same movie. And I don't recommend it, to be honest. So I, I, I do agree that this movie, like, majority of the movies that I've seen this this year, especially this fall, a lot of the Oscar contenders, except for, there are only a couple movies I can say that weren't too long. Tick, Tick, Boom, I thought was an appropriate length. Um, I liked Licorice Pizza. I thought that one didn't have too much fat on it. But almost every other, like, big movie this year that's been, that's just, it's been two and a half hours, and most of them did not need to be two and a half hours, so I will give you that point. But with that said, I did really enjoy the satire in this movie, and, um, I thought it was too painfully accurate to how something like this would truly play out in today's society and i just i think i just enjoyed that point so much that i didn't care that it wasn't that subtle i think i don't think it was supposed to be subtle um but that's that's the comedy of it i guess um i totally would recommend it i think the acting was pretty good in it especially we'll get to it later but leo's monologue on on the show um overall i mean it's definitely divisive i think you're either going to fall in one of the two camps, whether you absolutely loved it or you absolutely hated it. But nevertheless, it's something worth discussing and worth seeing, at least to make your own opinion for. So I do recommend it. Guys, I'm very excited for this conversation because I love this movie. I'm I'm like excited about it in a way that I was not for a lot of other movies this year. As an impressionistic take on the world we currently live in, and sometimes a realistic take, I think it just gets a lot of stuff right of how it feels to live in certain ways nowadays. And I do think it was really funny. It's not McKay's funniest film, but that's okay. It's you know it has other stuff going on. I absolutely love the story of this movie, the the originality and the concept. I thought it was a great allegory. It does run long, and there are a few scenes that we'll discuss, and maybe a couple of characters that I thought were just unnecessary. Like, I didn't dislike them, and I was entertained by them, but I, I was questioning, like, I don't know if this really belongs in the movie, or it couldn't have been cut, or whatever. And I do think the first half has a lot of energy, and then it slumps a little bit, and then picks it back up. Overall, I had an excellent experience watching this, thinking about this. I... This might be a little premature, but I think it would be super cool if this won Best Picture. And maybe I'll regret saying that in tomorrow, but that's what I'm saying now. It's one of my favorites of the year, and I, yeah, I, I was just very enthralled by this. What did you guys think of the performances? We have Leo as Randall Mindy, Dr. Randall Mindy. Is this the dorkiest that Leo has ever been. I was looking through his filmography. I'm like, I don't think he's ever played anybody like this. Well, I think dorky, and I mean, I'm it, I, he does that to perfection. And I also, I mean, I'm not from Michigan, but I have family that are from the Midwest. Um, and I think he handles the, the Michigander accent fairly well. 
I mean, I might get roasted by our, our Midwest listeners if, if, if he was totally off base on it, but I, it, it was believable to me. And I thought his acting just was, I thought it was superb. And like I said, that monologue that we'll get into later that he did was just, I thought it just, from a movie with all the stuff going down, just see it slow down and then just have his words just so excellently performed. It just kind of just really drove the point home, I think, of of the movie home for me. Yeah, I, uh, I watched that a second time, and when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, Leo, Mr. DiCaprio, please stop making me love you in every <laughs> single movie. Just please. I just want to walk out of one movie and be like, eh, not that one, but it, it's, no, he's just bad in a thousand. Tyler, did you like Mr. DiCaprio in this? I did like him. I, I mean, I think... Uh... I know most of these characters are supposed to be despicable people, but, like, I just rarely see a movie where I just don't, like, care. Like, I, I did not like many of these characters at all to the point where, like, I wasn't invested in most of them. Or any of them, to be honest. Hmm. Well, I it was interesting because there were kind of some relationships that I think we all have to the characters and also to the performers. For instance, Jennifer Lawrence, who plays Kate DiBiaschi here, um, who apparently filmed this with a broken tooth, and then they had to like artificially place the tooth in in editing, which was interesting. Um, I just I feel like we haven't seen her in a while, and like I miss seeing her on screen. I looked; the last thing we saw her in was X Men: Dark Phoenix, which uh, you know may be part of the reason that I feel like I haven't seen her in a long time. Uh, but it, it was just, it was nice to see her in a movie. I totally agree. I'm a huge J-Law fan, and I I really enjoyed her in this movie as well. Um, I, lo- I love the little the little bit where she's the, the general, I mean, this is not really a big spoiler to the movie, but like the general charger for the snacks, and then she just kept circling back to... <laughs> Like, like you know, the, you know, the stuff is free. <laughs> like, like the, the little, yeah. the little lines and like the callbacks that they gave her character, I think, were really well, well inserted. And I think she played it off very well, um, especially as she yeah. became more sort of not unhinged. I don't know if that's the right word, but more just like grappling the results of grappling with the the existential crisis that everyone's gonna die in six months. You know, like. I think she played that off very yeah. well. I, Tyler, I have some news for you. What's that? I knew I knew this was going to happen one day, and I was excited for this moment. I did not mind Tim Chalamet in this movie. Really? I didn't. I was the opposite. I don't think his character was necessary. It was but... very stupid. <laughs> yeah, I um, I'm I'm with you on that, Mike. For sure. Yeah, I didn't mind, and I was loving this movie so much, and I knew that he was going to come in at some point, and I was, like, apprehensive of, like, oh, am I going to dislike this? And I didn't like it, necessarily, but I I didn't mind him. I had the opposite. This movie was already bad for me, and then he came in, it was just, like, every scene he was in was so unnecessary that I'm just, like... I, I was very indifferent to Chalamet. Now I'm like, I just uh, I can't stand Chalamet. Well, this movie is... ruined Chalamet. The the, the <laughs> slim uh, view I had of him anyway. This movie well, ruined it. And you know what? If I don't see him again, I'd be fine. The, with it. the thing the thing that I will give this movie props for is, or give Tal- Tim Chalamet uh, credit for is that he his character is basically like a caricature of what half the half of the film 
community thinks of him. I mean, he plays kind of like this, this, like, for lack of a better term, like this, like, this, this, like, bro. And yeah. I, he, it's, it's like, it, I feel like it's this very self-aware performance for him. Like, I think he knows that people see but him that like that. But doesn't make it good. And I think it, I, I didn't say it was, that made it good. I'm just saying, I think. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, just because it's self-aware, it's still awful. Yeah, okay, fair. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's like. It's yeah. I, I will give. I will admit, being self-aware doesn't necessarily absolve a bad concept or bad performance. But I, I appreciate them going there, at least trying it. I, I in no way think that it's a bad performance. I just think the character was not very yeah, good. Well, yeah. And I, I don't once think we run through the movie, I don't think it's bad either. I just yeah, the character was unnecessary, and I just didn't like the character and thought it would, yeah. just didn't add anything to the movie. But I just want to say that Tim Chalamet's 2021 for me is very bad. Dune did not like the worst part of mm-hmm. the French Dispatch in this. Yep. So, you know, I'm very, very anti-Chalamet now. <laughs> that might change. So that he, might change. We'll see. Probably. He will not be Performer of the Year for you. Not uh, at all. We will, we will get to our Silver Screen Awards in a few weeks here, and that will be one of the categories. Uh, I think the... Uh, so... McKay's recent films has used this like sharp editing style of a lot of um, inserting quick images, quick cutting, all this stuff. This film did it, I think, to a lesser extent than the other films. And I, I thought it was pretty effective. I did like the style of this. It kept the energy high. And I also really liked the small like environmental jokes that were thrown in, things that weren't super central to the plot, but that uh, they put in there like when they... <laughs> The talk show people were talking about the non-convicted killer who was like eliminated in a dancing show. Oh, yeah, that was really funny. Yeah, I think so. Tyler, you're not recommending. No. Matt and I are recommending. I'm strongly recommending. I, I again, I don't. I recognize that there's a lot of controversy, and I think a lot of the criticism is valid. But this is one of those movies where I understand the criticisms. But I just don't care much because I like. Yeah, it so it's one much. of those movies you got. You can't make an opinion on it unless you see it. So you can. So if you want to participate in the conversation, you got to see it for better or worse. Yeah, and this is right on Netflix. It'll probably pop up the first thing if you well, haven't watched. It's it now yet, like the third so. watched Netflix film of all time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been watched by 75 billion separate people I, I, on I, until red notice sequel I, uh, notice. I posed that question notice. on twitter right before we got on here saying if anyone else noticed that netflix is it just good is it, is it just because their business is is progressing and they're just getting consistently getting more subscribers which is correlating like with this or are they just go- goosing their numbers they're just making up numbers. They're throwing out random numbers. That's all it is. If they wanted us to know, they'd have official numbers. Listeners, we want you to we want you to weigh in on this. Hit us up at social at our social medias or at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. We want it, we want to know your thoughts yes, on Netflix's do. numbers and their reporting of their viewings, their views. If you watched both The Unforgivable and Bird Box, then which I did, I watched both of those things. But please let if you were a Red Notice, what was the Chris Hemsworth one? Extraction. The oh, action, extraction. Extraction. Yeah. If you watch that, if you watch Six Underground, <laughs> if you watched uh, what was the Ben uh, the Ben Affleck one? The Triple Frontier. Triple Frontier. 
Yeah, any of those. Just let squid us know game. what you thought. So, well, squid, squid Game, I believe. True. Yeah, I, I believe could. Squid Game. Spencer Confidential. <laughs> God, <laughs> that popped up, and I was like... Hey, you know what? That had Post Malone in it. I think that's what drove a lot like, of those numbers, because they I put Post Malone in the trailer. I believe they that was their most watched at one point. It was at one point. Spencer Confidential. I don't know a single human being who saw Spencer Confidential. Well, I've never known a person who's seen NCIS... Yet it is the yeah. the most watched show of all time. Actually, my parents love NCIS. Okay, there's two. <laughs> That's funny. All right, we're gonna get into spoilers. We're gonna run through the movie now. So if you haven't watched this yet, um, please, it's right on Netflix. Yeah, please, and then come back join the conversation. But this is just the spoiler warning. Spoiler warning: If you have not seen the following movie. Please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. Here's how we start this movie. We start with with Kate finding the comment, the comet, and J-Law is rapping Wu-Tang. Uh, I don't know why that was necessary, but I guess she she really loves Wu-Tang and she likes to rap it under her breath. I uh, I liked that part, honestly. Yeah, it was good. I, that's what kind of hooked me because I I love I love her look in this movie, and I, and I love her. I just love her character, and I love her as an actress. So like, you could put J Law in just about anything, and I'd watch it. Did you see Red Sparrow? Um, actually, I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, see that one and let me know what your thoughts were. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that. She's might a grad student. Yeah, she's a grad student. Uh, Michigan State, right? And her professor, Dr. Mindy, played by DiCaprio, they discover that this comet is heading towards Earth in six months and that it will basically kill the planet. They have to inform NASA, who are very skeptical of them, and then they go to the White House. And this was where the movie really kicked off for me, starting with the, the Paul Guilfoyle joke. So he plays a man who is in charge of the Pentagon eyes on this comet situation. And he brings Kate and Randall snacks. <laughs> cheese nips, to be specific. <laughs> I don't know when the last time you guys saw cheese nips were. I haven't in about 12 years. Not, not really since I got them in my Lunchables. Yeah. I haven't ever even seen them in the store. I don't know if they're still sold that much. I could be completely off my rocker there but i just haven't seen him uh but he gives them snacks and then charges for them and it's it's discovered that all the snacks in the white house are free and so my question was why would a top official at the pentagon do that and then i was validated when kate poses the question nine times I don't know. I thought that was a really funny setup, and yeah. it, it you know it got me. That was funny. They don't get the meeting the first time. Uh, we have Meryl Streep as the president, Janie Orlean here. Hmm. What did you guys think of Meryl Streep? I thought this was, I don't know, not her best performance or character. I mean, obviously there are ninety excellent ones to choose from i just i wasn't feeling her totally in this movie see you got like 90 performances to choose from and this is one of the worst i can remember so that's pretty bad i just i i couldn't stand her in this 
I don't think you were supposed to like her in this. Or are you talking about the acting specifically? No, just the acting. I mean, I couldn't stand when she was on screen. Like, I just want her scenes went on way too long. Every time she was on, dragged out, and I just did not get anything from that performance. Yeah, I just didn't think the writing for her was the strongest. I, I don't know what it was, but I wasn't totally on the wavelength. And we have Jonah Hill as <laughs> Chief of Staff Jason Orlean, who we learn is also her son. I thought he was funny in this. Yeah. I thought especially like his antagonistic relationship with Kate was really funny. Uh, I, Tyler, you weren't into it? I was not into this either. Which, first of all, this just brings me back. I think I mentioned this during Home Alone. It's not comedy to quote things kids say, like lit and stuff. That's not funny. Just stop doing that to be like, oh, look how out of touch he is. He's quoting... He's, he's trying to be one of that like I, I can't stand that in movies and I, I just don't that doesn't get a laugh out of me and I see it so often that's true so that was grating I, on me I, I enjoyed Jonah Hill in this yeah I did I was it was it was nice to see him uh, one funny joke is that he said they don't get the meeting because the president is busy with I thought this was funny as well the Supreme Court justice nominee is having a hard time getting approved and voted in. Um, because he has like an increasingly reputation of like more and more pornographic things that he has done. It was like from a nude photo to like he was in, <laughs> he was in like a soft porn series. <laughs> which I, I thought that was funny, but they don't get the meeting. So Jason says, "All right, we're gonna set you guys up with a place to stay," and they send them to Hacienda Courts. And there we learn of Kate and her boyfriend, who seems to work for, like, a BuzzFeed-esque uh, site. And Leo and his wife, played by Melanie Linsky, who I love. She kills it and everything. She has one of the best American accents from a non-American actor that I have heard. She is from New Zealand, um, and she doesn't have an American accent. But I'm tricked every single time in every role that I've ever seen of her. I think she has one of the best ones. Uh, but she plays Leo's wife, and her name is, excuse me. June. She plays June, June Mindy. And they have a relationship. They seem to have a very nice family thing. Later on, that's going to be broken up. Did you guys think the storyline with Randall's affair with the talk show host was, was that necessary? I All think those you scenes know my felt answer. like, <laughs> yeah, seemed like they dragged out and... Like, I was entertained by them, but I'm like, I don't know if this needs to be in this. I, it, it, for me, it really didn't make sense for his character. Um, I mean, granted, if if I was... If Kate, someone played by Kate Blanchett was hitting on me, I probably would fall into that trap, too. But... Mm. Um, as far as, like, the... Like, it just seemed out of... It just seemed kind of out of character for him. I mean, yeah, I get it's supposed to build up. Like, he's getting famous, so he's starting to sort of fall into the culture of make you know making this into a, a, such a trivial this comet into like a trivial thing when it's really a bigger deal than that i mean i get hmm. that whole aspect of it but i still thought felt like it was i agree it was unnecessary yeah i thought a lot of these elements came in thematically at the end and so it justified it for me a little bit um but this it, it could have been trimmed down. So they are denied. They go on the talk show. They go back to the White House um, because the president discovers that this could be a good thing for her publicity. 
She has... The thing that got me the most in this movie out of everything was the sudden flash to her picture with Steven Seagal. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know, what? I just want to add one more thing on this. On this, that this is the second act. Leo is the second actor to fall into a Kate uh, Blanchett affair trap in like the last yes, couple weeks. Because Brad Brad yeah. Cooper got the same had the same thing happen to him in Nightmare Alley. Check out Nightmare Alley. Yeah, she has pictures with Steven Seagal, one hugging Bill Clinton, uh, with one with Mariah Carey. And then we move to this again. It's just like in Ron's Gone Wrong. We have an Apple-like announcement, but this is for the Bash Network. And this is headed by Mark Rylance, who is playing Peter Isherwell. Chris Evans apparently was supposed to play this role. That would have been a very, very different movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Mark Rylance is so committed and created such a character that I found it disturbing. I mean, this reminded me a lot of his character in Ready Player One to a point. Like, Oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I, I thought he is... I don't know, like, childish and timid, but also, like, malevolent at the same time. He, I, I was very impressed by the performance, but was pretty frightened by it. Yeah, just the was, oddest accent, too. Like, that's not yeah. a word. Like, that's just not found in the world. That's, that's like, the point, though. <laughs> I think that was supposed to be like that. Yeah. So I, he I mean, I'm not an, criticizing it. I'm just, I'm just saying that's, yeah. that's what he had. So he makes an announcement of Bash Life, which is this online program basically aimed at making sure that sad feelings will never return. Um, I, I kind of related because that kind of makes sense. I think we all do this, especially with the phone. And I'm not trying to be like phone lecturing, but it's like an instinct now <laughs> where as soon as you're bored for one second or you're uncomfortable for one second, you just pull out the phone and scroll. I know I do that. I don't know if you guys do. I, I know I know one person that doesn't. And that's Ridley that? Scott. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I do do that too. Yeah, it was very relatable to me. Um, and so that was an interesting caveat that I wasn't sure right away how that was going to fit in. Um, as soon as they are sort of rejected, Kate and Randall go on the Daily Rip, where we have talk show hosts Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett. I very much enjoyed both of them in this. I thought Tyler Perry was good at this role. Was it better than Those Who Wish Me Dead? Yes, because I thought that was the most unnecessary. <laughs> Talk about unnecessary parts of a movie. That just I, I have no reason why that was in there at all in Those Who Wish Me Dead. A movie that I liked, but that was unnecessary. Uh, they're in this, so when Kate and Randall are brought on, first of all, they're brought on after Ariana Grande, who plays Riley Bina, a, a pop star and she has an on-screen reconciliation with Kid Cudi who plays DJ something I don't remember the name uh, not important but that was yeah not important that was pretty funny both those performances were good and then we have our two scientists coming on and I thought this had a good point sometimes about things needing to be palatable and this is where I didn't mind the on-the-noseness of this movie so much. Is that, you know, this, it isn't very subtle. 
But I thought that was central to the theme of like, and that goes back to the when Leo freaks out is like, this is such a scream of a movie. Like, how could we not be paying attention to this? I don't want to dress up this message. I don't want to have to trick people or entertain people into listening to into this, which maybe goes against this being an entertaining movie. Um, there are complications there, but I, I was okay with the heavy handedness because that was what the characters were doing in the movie. They were presenting things very bluntly. So I, I, I just didn't mind it as much as a lot of people. All right, after that, Kate freaks out on the show. Randall becomes popular as the, what is it, AILF astronomer I'd like to have fun with. <laughs> that was funny because it doesn't make doesn't make a, a phonemic word that you can really say. Elf? Elf. Guy's an elf. He's elf, actually. He's elf, yeah. <laughs> elf was the original elf. <laughs> Alien form, I'd like I also, to. I also love that they're memeing that one line from Ariana Grande's character. <laughs> they're like, and she's like, why don't you mind your business, you old... <laughs> yeah. That was funny. And that, that was one of the scenes that I thought, like, his, his dorkishness was so... So compelling. He was so good at all those little gestures. So this campaign fails. Um, they have to go back home. Randall is trying to shoot down internet trolls. And then they go... This is the part where they go back to the White House. I apologize for misplacing that. They come up with the plan. They are going to shoot something into space to counteract the comet. But the White House says that they need a hero for this. So they they recruit Benedict Drask, who is played by Ron Perlman. And they have this press release. Did you guys like Ron Perlman in this? He, he was also in Nightmare Alley. So we're getting a couple of yeah. Perlmans. I thought he was funny as like this American hero who is also just has these horrible, antiquated, uh, racist attitudes. Yeah. Yeah, his, the, the the whole racist thing I thought was a little too much. Where like, it, it, come on, that wouldn't be feasible. Like that is way too over the top. But I mean, it was funny. No, that's fair. Maybe that's perhaps the uh, exaggerated hyperbole comedy there. Yeah. Uh, after after we get this press release, there's a media montage. Randall goes on a Sesame Street esque show, and we also get Gary Tangway. <laughs> Comcast Network's own Gary Tangway used to watch him all the time after the Celtic games, and then he was in Knives Out the first time, and when I saw him in that, I was like, what the heck? And then when I saw him in this, I'm like, all right, I guess he's just going to appear as reporters in movies. I, I think you're legally obligated, like, as soon as you sign, like, a contract to film in the state of Massachusetts, which this was filmed in the Boston area, and the scene in Chicopee, which is cool, um... I think, like, there's just this thing that says, like, Gary Tangway has to appear. You have to fit yeah. Gary Tangway in your film. <laughs> I, I'm all here for it. I would never not want him in any given movie. What, I would um, want him in Deepwater. Was was Gary Tangway in Free Guy? I can't remember. Because that was filmed in Boston. Well, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure he was walking in the background. He, he doesn't shy away from those cameras. He was Goldie the Goldfish. Was that its name? I think it was Goldie. 
Right, after the show, Randall has an affair with Bree, who is Kate Blanchett. They have this scene in bed where they're just like listing facts of their lives, and this was probably like the number one cut for me. I'm yeah. like, I-, I don't know why this is here. I guess it was kind of funny, but I just it didn't even play into like the affair or like his relationship with his wife or anything like that. So uh, I don't know why that was here. And then we get to the launch. Uh, we get the the racist comments by Drask. We have the rocket. So it goes up in the air. Everyone's celebrating. It's this historic moment of, wow, we're going to save all of humanity. And then the rocket turns back. And I didn't know what was going on. I did know that it had something to do with, with Rylance's character because he walks into the cabinet meeting. But it turns out that they want, them meaning Bash, Bash and now the White House, doesn't want to deflect the comet. They want to send probes up there to collect precious minerals, which are helpful for technology. And so everyone's upset by this. Kate and Rob Morgan, who plays Dr. Oglethorpe in a really good performance and maybe not a great role. Uh, They're very upset by it. Leo Randall Mindy is kind of blinded by his, his sudden celebrity and power. So we have Bash who wants to harvest these minerals. And this is kind of like the everything is lost moment in the movie. They start a riot in a restaurant because Kate reveals to everybody what the government's plan is. She is arrested and returns home to be a cashier. And this is where we get the Tim Chalamet, who I think his character's name is Yule. Yule, yeah. And he is just a skater bro. I, I don't know why he was in the movie. I guess it was just like somebody for kate to spend time with while she was home because like even later when he joins them in their adventures and like they get engaged in the car i don't i, I just wow. i didn't think it needed to be in there at all if if his entire role was cut this movie wouldn't have changed in any way <laughs> no Not really. i totally no. agree it was mildly entertaining but I, I don't know why it was there and then we have the big scene well first we have (laughs) i should mention this we have chris evans as a movie star who just wants everybody to stop (laughs) arguing which yeah i love how like unhelpful of a a line that is like oh just stop arguing let's come together it's like (laughs) yes i think that's true oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no no go ahead i think that definitely just encompasses the celebrity like uh, culture it's just like they're like oh yeah. you know why are we arguing you know the centrist like <laughs> it yeah. shouldn't be taking sides it should all be in the middle but right. that doesn't work no it's totally unhelpful in yeah. in actual society why don't we release an, a, a video of us singing imagine <laughs> i was just thinking of the same exact thing <laughs> Yeah, uh, hey, they, they tried, whatever. <laughs> but also, he's he's making a movie about, like, the world exploding, I believe. I don't remember yes. the title of the movie, but... Uh, and then, like, tries to graft on his message of no arguing to the movie. He's like, oh, well, that's why we made the movie, because it's for everybody. Yeah, that was a 30, not maybe not even 30-second scene that I thought was funny and effective. Uh... June 
Randall's wife finds out about him and Bree. Again, I don't... This confrontation scene wasn't needed. In fact, the scene, like, recognizes that the dialogue that's going to take place isn't necessary. And so, I don't... It's it's just there, I guess, to show that June found out. I feel so, like a lot of these scenes, to me, like, the scenes that aren't really necessary were just kind of like... Um, Adam McKay, just, like, what he's mad at. And, like, I want to call this out. It doesn't have to do with this movie, but I'm going to throw it in there. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, I guess that's his right as the right, but, yeah, th- that could have been cut. What I did not want to be cut, which I think is one of the best scenes in the movie, is when Randall goes back on the Daily Rip, and he just goes crazy. They start, you know, kind of making everything light. They're playing on his personality and his newfound celebrity, and he starts going off no there is a comment uh this bash solution is not good and he is just screaming but he's doing it so well and that's i thought this was like if you had to pick one scene from this movie to show what it's about i think this was Mm -hmm. it to just stop ignoring the things that we know to be true and to recognize them and put forth a solution yeah i agree he he played that i don't is emphatic the right word for it? Yeah. He, like, he played it so emphatically in that, he, the way he read those lines and the, the way you could just see him just like sort of waking up to the reality of the situation again after after his newfound celebrity and clout. And just to see that unfold on screen, I agree, Mike. It was definitely like the scene to make the whole movie worth it. Yeah, and everybody in it absolutely nailed it. So I, I watched that a couple of times and was very impressed. Uh, he does get arrested for screaming in the studio. I don't know. Is that a crime? I'm confused. Well, maybe not arrested. Maybe, but they was, just is it because he was swearing on television or something? Maybe. No, I think it's just because he called out the president and stuff. Oh, and true, like yeah. The, the um, bash stuff. True. Would they not have cut to commercial? You think the network would have really kept him on? Well, I think that would have been an effective shot, like if they did reveal, like no one saw all of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just they immediately cut out. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny. But we get so both of them are at their low points. Uh, Randall's marriage has fallen apart. He's now his celebrity is gone because he went crazy on TV. Kate is just chilling out with Yule. He's talking about his christianity or whatever and they see the comet and it's coming down towards earth and it's going to kill them very soon and this is sort of like the rally moment we get this media campaign where randall goes back on the sesame street show and just starts like screaming into the camera and then we have the song the uh riley bina (laughs) just look up what do you guys think of the song that should have been cut like there's no reason for that. way too long all of the ariana grande scott mescody stuff could have been cut it's just it's that's my problem with the movie so much like stuff that didn't need to be in it like this didn't need to be a two and a half hour movie i i, I so agree this was shortlisted <laughs> sorry go ahead no it was just say it was shortlisted for best original song was it yeah, I, I disagree, but okay. I don't think it was a great song, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it needed it either. <laughs> I guess it was an okay, like, 
because it was like a montage of them getting people to be aware that the comet was coming, but yeah, it wasn't the best. All right, so we have this debate of people saying just look up who are like comet believers and then the don't look up people who are comet deniers or they're believing in the bash plan, the president who is one of these. And then we, we basically, well, we get one part where there's like, apparently there were foreign missions to try to like stop the comet that failed. And then we just get the resolution where Bash fires up their, their little pods, their, their drones to collect and then explode parts of the comet. But Randall's solution is he just wants to reconcile with his wife before they all die. There's this like, in another movie, there would have been some cavalier effort. One last ditch thing to like get some scientists together and like make their own probe to fight the comet. But there's total like acceptance of death at the end of this. Like, oh, we tried. I'm glad we tried, but it's it's time for us just to be happy before we die, which was a very interesting thing. Yeah, I I think um, I think the whole you know the fact the the two faction dynamic of like the don't look up versus the just look up um i mean obviously that was very heavy-handed political allegory satire for like for like today's political climate and in you know left versus right and all that and i think that was i mean it didn't really do anything to propose a solution to it it was just like yeah that's how things are it sucks that people are so divided but like what it it was kind of morbid to me almost in a way it was morbid and that was one of the the few things about this movie that like i'm still wrestling with is i don't know if i if i wanted it to propose some way for people to get involved in a solution um but i'm also like glad that the movie went there that it did like blow up the world Hmm. in the end because what happens is uh bash launches their probes the probes mostly all fail um peter isherwell and the president and a few others like escape to a, a space pod so that they can go live on a foreign planet and while that is happening uh randall and kate and yule are just having dinner with the family he makes up with his wife and they're just having a nice time and uh the president offers randall a seat on the probe and he doesn't want to go and then he says to everybody at the table you know we really did have everything which i thought was even beyond like the political allegory of this i thought it was this nice kind of statement on life right even though We all might not see our lives end at the end of the world. All of our lives are going to end. So like, you know, while you're here, you have to look around you and see the things that you have. That was actually improvised by DiCaprio, that line. Hmm. Yeah, I already talked about it in between takes or whatever. Uh, Is it just me? Or do you think it was at least a little rude for him to not at least offer that seed to someone else at the table? Be like, hey, I don't want this, but... <laughs> okay, so who do you think would have gone? Yule? I th- honestly, I, I feel like Yule would have went. I think it would have ruined the ending if one of his sons <laughs> yeah. was like, right, I <laughs> see you guy. love you guys, no, but I, you're going to be dead anyway. No, I, so. I get it, I get it, but I'm just saying, 
Like that. That's kind of. That's kind of. Uh, I gotta say, one of the stupidest jokes, but like, got one of the biggest laughs out of me was the part where she's like, "I want to find out how I'm gonna die." Oh, like, that was. Well, you're gonna no. be eaten by a Brontorock, and then, <laughs> then it paid off at the end. What is that thing? I believe yeah. it's a Brontorock. <laughs> I liked. Yeah, yeah that was so. Fun. We get the the world exploding as they're having dinner. They're having this loving moment. They die happy, kind of happy and like melancholy because they could have done something and didn't. Um, this movie also throughout flashes to different people around the globe who are either watching these news announcements or who are just kind of like living. And whether you thought that was successful or not, I thought it was an interesting way to sort of like involve a global community in the fact that this, you know, affects every human being. Whether it's not totally successful, you know, maybe your viewpoint differs, but I thought it was an interesting attempt, at least. After the movie's over, we get these two, one mid-credit, one post-credit scene. I missed the post-credit one, honestly. I I didn't realize it was Uh, there till after. It's fine, you didn't need it. What did you guys think of the mid-credit scene? That was when they hit the planet, right? Right, so this is the president and Isherwell and, like, some other people who... I was, like, wondering who those people were that they were like deemed important enough they were probably just rich rich people yeah but they end up on this foreign planet the president is eaten by the what's the name of the creature brontorock the brontorock like you said i thought it was like a funny payoff to an earlier joke i didn't find this like totally Mm. necessary after the ending that we just had you know what you know what and it's funny the nature of making big movies like this that have critiques of like the ultra rich ultra wealthy like the rich class it's like your this movie is produced and being released by netflix which is a big media conglomerate and it's like it it just it's just weird to see other you know a rich wealthy company releasing a movie critiquing other rich wealthy individuals and companies it's just kind of it it doesn't it's another thing that kind of like doesn't really ultimately it's just kind of neutral on the scale of morale i guess morality when it comes to the ultra rich yeah it is you're right there are a lot of contradictions conflicts of interest um i i totally agree and that's why i think everybody who has criticized this movie has a very fair point i guess i'm just glad that like i'm just glad that they said something and that they went there yeah that they made it but yeah the end credit scene is just like jason climbing up out of the rubble and like making a tiktok or whatever <laughs> and that's it unless tyler i missed something no that, i think it ended right after that <laughs> yeah. it's like, like and subscribe and then it just ended. yeah i don't i don't know why that was needed no. so does that I mean, mean he was he like said he just wanted a light ending <laughs> so does that mean he was like so the heavy. the adam of this new planet that got destroyed yeah, I, I su- oh yeah, I don't know who the Eve would be, but I read that he was supposed to die after that anyway, so I don't... Um, yeah, this is obviously a an allegory for the climate crisis and, you know, that Earth is facing imminent danger from human-made things and that there are solutions out there, but they're just not being listened to. Um, did you guys think that was effective? Did you find it too much? Was it not done well? 
I, I mean, I get the allegory for it. I think it was... Uh, I mean, I get what they were going for, but to make it like a comet coming in six months is a little different than climate change, like, which is... A, I mean, I get you're making a movie. You're just dumbing it down for the purpose of to show how stupid people are to ignore it. And I get it. I just think it's just not as effective as an allegory because I think if you if you saw the mission to, to nuke um, the thing and then all of a sudden it all turned around like actually we're gonna harvest it i feel like there'd be protests and stuff like that i, I don't think he's giving people enough credit like yeah we're, we're dumb i get that we are i just think it was like like there's there's people that are trying to change it and you're acting like everyone's just kind of turning a blind eye to it so I, I i disagree there but i mean i get what he's saying i think that's a fair point well i think like ultimately this movie isn't going to change people's behaviors. And I think it's, I think the intention was to try and get people to wake up and realize that like, this is a big, you know, this is an allegory for something that's really happening and it's a big deal. Um, but I, I don't for, I, I can't picture someone watching this movie and saying, Oh, well now I'm going to do better. <sighs> you know, cause it, I mean, why not? I know what you mean. I agree with you. I just, you know, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that a movie has the kind of influence to make people do that? Uh, not not a movie like this. Um, I think if you're in the camp where you're ignoring it already, I think you're going to feel more insulted by this. Mm, I don't enough. think you're going to change your opinion based on it. Right, that's what I I'm mean, getting at. I don't know if that's necessary. I guess it makes sense, and it's also... I guess this movie, like, the satire is so aimed at large administration as opposed to sort of ordinary citizens. I don't know, that may have been another facet of the movie that could have, well, I don't know, informed of... of oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if it's aimed at large administrations, then they're definitely not going to listen to this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the, the administrations it's taking to task in this movie are well aware of what climate change is yeah. and the dangers. They're effectively ignoring it. Joe Biden isn't going to watch this movie and be like, well, I'm going to do something more about climate change. <laughs> Joe Biden's going <laughs> to nuke space now because yeah. of this movie. <laughs> or, or, or whoever else, Boris Johnson or whoever, you know. And that's... I, it was... It's a... That's the only thing keeping this movie from, I think, leaving a lasting impression for me, personally, as much as I enjoyed it. Well, that's... I, I'm going to agree with you there and just piggyback a bit. I think you're you're on one side or not already, and I don't think it's... It's like, that's... The, the point is, like, no one's going to change... The people who it's for to change their mind are just going to say, like, this is unrealistic or, like, we're not like that. And the, 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 the businesses and stuff that are actively ignoring it are still actively ignoring it. So I don't think it's going to bring that many people into the fight that aren't already on one side. Yeah. Which is where yeah. I, that's where I just see it's not that effective, from, in my opinion. Yeah, this movie is messy, complicated. Tyler, I think you have a, a great criticism about that. You know, it doesn't really include the fact that there are, and again, this is a fictional story, so they... It can't be totally yeah. like the real world, but I think it's a valid criticism that, you know, there, there are many people who are, many groups, many um, wonderful individuals who are fighting against these kinds of things. Um, but I, it's just one of those things where, like, I was able to dig through all the dirt 
and grab hold of what was good about this movie, and I just really appreciated it. I also thought it was very entertaining. Yeah, exactly. I, it's de- It was still probably one of the best movies I've seen this year. Granted, that's not saying much, because there's been a lot of um, underwhelming or just bad movies this year. Mm. Um, it's definitely not the strongest year for movies. Um, but, yeah. And it's another one, like Power of the Dog, where I feel like I'm not going to look back in a couple years from now and be like, oh, I gotta go back and watch that movie again. Remember that was so good. Yeah, like it's pass. Like it was passable. It was entertaining. But it's you know it's not gonna compared to other like top contenders for award shows in past years. I feel like this is just gonna fall into the ether of perhaps movies. I don't know. I'm interested to see what the Academy does with it. Do you guys want more of this kind of thing from McKay, or do you want? Maybe another return to a, an older style comedy from him. Um, it's, I I think it'd be tough for him to go back to, like the Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, even the other guys like that era of comedy. Because I think there's a time and place for that. And now, like, mm. you could, probably couldn't release movies like that in the same way today with just with what's acceptable as comedy and what isn't. Um, Fair enough. Tyler, what do you think? Um, I, I mean, as much as I didn't like this movie, I mean, I get what he's doing, so I, I'm curious to see what he's doing more in this style to see what else he comes up with. So I don't want to say he has to go back to his old ways and pause on this. He can. He, I, I like the big short. I liked Vice. So I'm definitely curious to see where he goes next and see what he, he uh, produces. Yeah, I agree. Well... Yeah, very divisive movie, but we want to hear what you, the listener, think. So, like we mentioned at the top of the show, you can write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at screensaverspod, and our Facebook is silverscreensaverspodcast. Matt, where you can you be found online? I can be found at mattyxsturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. And Tyler, what about you? Sorry about my dog. She's going nuts. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus, S-U-T-K-U-S. And I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallat, G-A-L-A-T, all lowercase, and on Letterboxd at M Gallat. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this is the tail end of our, our first year with this pod. And then, I don't know about you guys, but I'm very excited for 2022. So please come join us, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. See ya. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant. Intro music by Charles Michel via Pixabay. Logo design by Nathan Seidel.